Thank you for joining us this week for the Notable Speeches podcast. We're reposting our five most listened to programs of 2021. Today, the fourth most popular program of the year, a speech by Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. This program was originally released on July 23rd. This is the podcast Notable Speeches. And this time, a speech from one of the most prominent governors in the United States, Ron DeSantis, Republican of Florida. He was elected to that post in 2018 and since then has gained a national reputation for his leadership, especially for his policy choices in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Mr. DeSantis chose not to lock down the state or close schools. Ron DeSantis's strongly conservative approach to leading his state along with his willingness to fight back against critics and naysayers, has some Republicans suggesting that he may be a good choice as the GOP's standard-bearer in the 2024 presidential campaign. In this address delivered at a conference on religious freedom issues, Governor DeSantis calls on other conservative leaders, quoting now, to have a backbone when the going gets tough. A brief bit of biography, Ron DeSantis is a Florida native, Before being elected governor, he represented the state's 6th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives. He holds a bachelor's degree in history from Yale and a law degree from Harvard Law School. Mr. DeSantis and his wife Casey have three young children, including one born just last year. This address by Governor Ron DeSantis was presented in Florida on July 14, 2021, at a gathering sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom, that's a nonprofit legal organization that advocates for religious freedom. The audio has been abridged slightly for this podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much. So great to have you all here. It's so great to have you all here. We've, uh, I've had the fortune of being able to speak from a, in front of a lot of great groups of people over the last year, partially because we were one of the only states that would have big groups of people over the last year. I don't know when the first time I ever heard about Alliance Defending Freedom, but I think it was the media was smearing the group, and so I said, y'all must be over the target somehow, so this is probably a group that I'm going to like. And we're glad that you chose to be in Florida. I understand that you had originally planned to to be in California and you had to switch up. You're not the only ones that have had to do that over the last year, and so we're proud to have you here. We're also proud of what Florida has been able to accomplish since I became governor, but certainly in the last year plus under very difficult circumstances. We saw state after state engaging in very draconian and counterproductive policies, locking down people, locking out businesses, keeping kids out of school, in some cases for over a year. And our view was, this was a situation that none of us necessarily had experience in, uh, but we said the way we've got to tackle this is not by locking people down, but by lifting people up. And so we're going to do everything we can to protect people's freedoms, protect people's livelihoods, protect our small businesses, and make sure that our kids are able to go to school in person. And so we were the only large state in the country where the entire school year, 100% of the parents had the right to send their kid to school in person. We also have had probably some of the best uh, economic production that we've had in terms of 
hospitality and term, I mean, because we were basically a place where if you needed to get out of Michigan or Pennsylvania or some of the, you just try to get to Florida just for your sanity. Yeah, a lot of people are moving here, but part of it was just being here for a week or two and being able to live like normal folks. But they, it, the, the churches were mentioned. You had places throughout this country where churches were closed, but strip clubs were open or liquor stores were open. You tell me how that makes any sense whatsoever. And so I think this idea of certain things being essential or not, honestly, is something that we've got to throw in the trash can because Anthony Fauci may not think your job is essential, but I guarantee you, you think your job is essential. I guarantee you, your kids think your job is essential. So I don't, I don't like that. Uh, we abandoned that very early on in this whole process. But if you're going to do that, how do you say a house of worship is non-essential, but that some of these other things are, are somehow essential? That is not science, folks. That is ideology that was at stake. And I think if you look back, there were very few voices that were actually standing up uh, for freedom. Quite frankly, the courts, by and large, did a horrific job, certainly early on, in actually standing up to some of what we saw. When I ran for governor in 18, it was a very a contentious election. You couldn't have had a bigger gulf between the two candidates in terms of philosophy and, uh, and I would say, character and, and, and all that other stuff. But nevertheless, um, media did what they could to try to, to, try to muddy the waters there. But, but nevertheless... Uh, so we knew it was an important election for, for Florida and very hard fought, but no one would have thought at that time that if there was a pandemic that governors would be able to seize power to lock kids out of school for a year, a year and a half, to forbid people from being able to earn a living, from, from putting a, a lot of people into destitute. No one would have thought that that was possible. And so the question is, is, is that something that, that we should allow to be repeated again? And I say, we can never let this happen to our country again. So when people say, what did you do in Florida? I answer very shortly and clearly, Florida chose freedom over Fauciism. I wasn't about to let the state get fauci'd where you have kids that don't have access to education, where you have people that get plunged into uh, destitution, where you see mental illness and substance abuse and other health problems exacerbated by these disastrous policies. And we had to buck the media, the bureaucracy, quote unquote experts. These experts have been wrong about almost everything. Most recently with the COVID vaccines, I mean, I uh, looked at it, I said, okay, this is something that's affecting elderly people. Wouldn't we want to focus it on elderly? The CDC didn't want to do that. Uh, they said the elderly weren't racially diverse enough, and so you need to focus on younger workers first. That was their initial recommendation that came out. We rejected that wholesale. We said we're putting seniors first. No mandates, of course, but providing it to anybody who wanted it. And had we not done that, they wouldn't have changed, CDC wouldn't have eventually changed, and a lot of these other states wouldn't have done what we do. You would absolutely have had way more people uh, who would have passed away as a result of it. So you gotta be willing to look at this and make decisions. And the way I viewed it was, 
I didn't get elected to simply subcontract out leadership to some health bureaucrat. I listened to people. I listened to as many people as I could, but I also read the data myself. I also read things myself. I made an effort to consult with people whose views were grounded in the facts and the evidence, but whose views may not have fit the prevailing narrative. And you know what? More often than not, those people who were immersed in the data were right, and the narrative was wrong. And so Eisenhower in his farewell address, most people remember beware the military-industrial complex. He was right about that. That was something that was very prescient. But he also got into this idea of, okay, we have all this scientific research that's being funded by government. This is becoming a major industry. There's an intertwining here. And he said there'll be a temptation to kind of allow public policy to be captive by a scientific or technological elite. And he said, that's not leadership. He said, the person that's in charge, the statesman, has got to harmonize all these competing interests and all these different factors in society, and you've got to be able to make decisions that are in the best interest of the people that you represent. So, so that's what we were doing uh, throughout COVID. And, you know, Florida, we have one of the oldest populations in the country, but yet our per capita mortality was less than the national average in less than 25 other states. Almost all of those states were serious lockdown states who a lot of these experts said, quote, did it right. So we're happy to have folks here. We're happy that this has been a place people have been able to come. Uh, we obviously are, are, are doing well economically, and we're proud of that. Uh, so, so that challenge was something that was, uh, that was significant, and, and I think we're better off for the decisions that we've made. I also, uh, be, when I became governor, had the mindset that there's going to be certain crises that, that happen that you just can't foresee, but there's other problems that may not have ripened, but very well may occur. And so if you can take early action when it may not be something that's on people's radar screens, you may be able to avoid having some serious crises down the road. And the first uh, example of that for me was making sure our elections were won properly. So I came into office January of 2019. One of the first things I did was uh, accept the resignation of the supervisor of election from Broward County and remove the supervisor from Palm Beach County because they had had 20 years of problems. They had had 20 years of problems. They botched uh, the 2018 election that I, that I was a candidate in. And so we just were not going to let that happen. Again, better people were in there. We also, when COVID hit, I refused to simply throw out my whole election code and do these emergency procedures, send all the ballots in the mail, uh, upend any type of integrity measure. You know, my view was we can run an election. We know what we have to do. We'll do it transparently. We'll do it efficiently. Uh, but we're going to do it according to the law and according to the rules. And so that's what we did. And then the result was on election night in 2020, we counted about 11 million votes by midnight on election night, which was about 99% of the votes that had been cast. A lot of other states took days and weeks to be able to count their ballots. We were be able to do it. It was transparent. Uh, it was final, and people were able to move on, although the, the TV networks wouldn't call Florida for Trump. Even with 99% in and less votes outstanding than the margin, they waited as long as they could. I kind of feel like if the, if the roles were reversed, they would have called that for Biden very quickly, uh, but that's just the world that we live in. So we were able to do it. I think it was a sharp contrast for what you saw throughout the rest of the country, but 
I also looked at what was going on in the rest of the country and I said again, okay, 2020 was great, we did, we did a good job, but what about 22 and 24 and 26 and all these other elections? Uh, are we gonna go down the road that some of these other states went down? And I said, we're not gonna let that happen. And so we were able to propose, get passed, and I was able to sign I think the strongest election integrity measures anywhere in the country. We banned ballot harvesting in the state of Florida. We banned any unsolicited mail ballots being sent out in the state of Florida. We strengthened voter ID requirements. And we banned Zuckerbucks from being used in the state of Florida. So these are all very good. I think these are very good. It's going to keep us ahead of the curve, but I think it'll ensure that Florida continues to be a leader. And by the way, if we were having this confab 20 years ago, nobody would have been talking about Florida being a leader in election anything. I can tell you that for sure. So we've come a long way. But here with, with the election integrity, I think one of the lessons was Georgia had done a bill a few weeks or a month or so before Florida did. And Georgia needed to do a bill because Georgia's election was a disaster. And they cannot repeat that. And, and I don't, even if you don't, it, you can put aside all the, the improprieties, the fact that it takes you days and days to count ballots, that does not inspire confidence. Obviously, they have had a lot of issues in some of these counties. So they needed to do something. So they did, they did this. Well, the left went nuts. The media went nuts. And then all the businesses they got swept up in this. Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game. You'd get these statements coming out from these CEOs. Not a single one probably read the bill. Uh, and they're basically accepting these left-wing narratives at face value regardless of the underlying facts. And I think actually some of those CEOs knew the bill originally and approved of it, and then the pressure got to them, so they took these positions. And so it was this major thing. And, and it really hurt Georgia because moving the All-Star game, that's, that's a big revenue generator. And so when we were doing it, you know, I just let it be known. I said, look, uh, all the stuff we're doing is 100% uh, above board. You look at it. It's good policy. You know, if you disagree with it, it's fine. But to act like we're doing something out of the ordinary is ridiculous. But you're free as a business, if you want to get involved in this stuff, you want to stick your beak in and start rattling cages about what Florida's doing with voter ID or any of this stuff, fine, it's a free country. But understand, just as you're free to get involved in our legislative business, I'm free to stick my beak in your business. And I will hold you accountable and I will fight back against you if you're smearing my state, if you're smearing my legislature, or if you're trying to smear me. And we were very clear about that. We're not going to let people just steamroll all over us. And so if you're mad that people have to show an ID, but you make money in communist China or with communist Cuba or some of these other places, we're going to make sure that people understand your hypocrisy on some of these things. And the result was I signed the bill. The left went berserk. The media had a spasm. And the businesses didn't say anything. They didn't say anything. And that's instructive when you look at some of these other issues, such as uh, preserving the integrity of women's sports. So this was an issue, obviously, that's been, been picking up steam. You've had, we did have one of the track athletes from, from Connecticut come to the eventual bill signing. And you see these women athletes who were competing, performing well, 
and then they'd get, get uh, out of a competition because you'd have two males that, that would beat them in track or some of these other things. And it's fundamentally unfair. It's discrimination against women athletes to force them to participate against male athletes. That's just the bottom line on that. And so... And so this is something that I, that I thought w w was important. Yeah, I have two daughters, and, and that's, it's somewhat personal to me. But quite frankly, as governor, you know, I really believe that, that athletics is important. And I think it's important that, that both our boys and our girls have opportunities to, to advance themselves in athletics. And so I thought it was something that not just looking down the road for my kids, but I thought in the here and now, it's something that we needed to take very, very seriously. And but this was an issue where you had corporations, you had NCAA and doing all this stuff. And so our bill's working through the process, and I think our House had it teed up, or maybe they even passed it. And the NCAA, they put out some type of statement just saying, like, we're not going to hold events if people do bills for women's sports. And, and they obviously view it from the one perspective of, of letting the males do. They think that is, is fairness. Um, obviously, I think that's completely unfair. But that's, that's, this is academia. That's their mindset. And so they said they weren't going to do events. And, and I called uh, our Speaker of the House and I said, hey, did you hear that the NC, what the NCAA said? He said, no. I was like, they said, if we go through with the women's sports bill, they're not going to do events in the state of Florida. He's like, oh, wow. I was like, you know what that means, don't you? We've got to pass this bill and we've got to get it done. And so we got it. You know, this is this stuff happens when the legislative session ends. We were able to to get it over the finish line and get it uh, through the uh, through our Senate. And we were ba basically able to sign it in the law. And we had very little blowback at that point. Uh, of course, the left and the media, they did their thing, but nobody listens to them anymore. So I don't know why politicians listen to them. You shouldn't care what they say. So we, we did it. We went through. I made it very clear you know, we were going to stand strong. And lo and behold, the NCAA is like, well, you know, we actually will hold the bench. You know, we're not going to hold it over you for this or that. And, uh, and, and obviously. And so I think the lesson for some of these things is this wokeness, it dominates certain institutions, academia, corporate media, big tech, increasingly corporate America and big businesses, but it's got very little cachet outside of those aspects of our society. And so if you stand up for what's right, they may want to chirp at you. Heck, they may even try to do something, although they need me more than I need them in terms of Florida and what we offer for, for business and whatever, but that's fine. Uh, but if you stand, you're standing on behalf of a huge, huge silent majority of Americans who may not have access to those high commanding heights of some of our elite institutions, uh, but who have strength in numbers and who understand common sense and they understand uh, what's right. So what you have to do in these situations is you just got to stand up against some of the blowback. Stand up against this corporate media we have. I mean, God bless them. I, you know, it's like, They've been biased for a long time. Now, I think in the last, in the Trump era, they're just 
totally off their rocker in terms of spinning narratives, regardless of facts. They don't care about the facts at all. It's all about advancing their partisan agenda, but they're not very good at what they do. You know, now they're criticizing the protesters in Cuba because they're worried about COVID outbreaks. Uh, they're protesting communism, and they're talking about COVID outbreaks. They were not saying that when people were burning cities down last, last June, but nevertheless, that's just the kind of stuff that they do. You know, we had 60 Minutes come down to Florida uh, trying to smear me. They were here for like three months, and they were digging for whatever dirt they could find. All they were trying to do is do a hit job, and they didn't have anything. So they ended up coming up with like a half-cocked conspiracy theory. They were warned that it was wrong. We offered them the witnesses. They wouldn't put them on. So they run it, and immediately, I have major Democrats in Florida coming out saying 60 Minutes is lying. They knew what they did was false, and it totally blew up in their face, and that's what we do. We fight back. Uh, we're not just going to sit there and take it, and we're, but we're not scared to, 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 for them to punch at us. If they're punching at you, that means you're over the target. That means you're doing a good job. And so we're going to keep doing that. And that's in this legislative session. Yeah, we did the election integrity. We did the, we did the women's sports. We also did a parent's bill of rights, saying that parents have the right to manage the upbringing of their kids with medical, education, some of the stuff that gets put in these schools, which is totally inappropriate. We want to empower parents to be able to have remedies there. We believe that... Um We believe, like the founders of our country, believe that you can't just push out God from all of our institutions and be successful. So we signed a bill uh, mandating a moment of silence so students are able to pray in schools uh, throughout the state of Florida. We made sure that uh, our Second Amendment rights apply to places like houses of worship. There was law that said if they have a uh, private school on the campus, then you can't, and our view is, is you know, we want people to be able to protect themselves, so we were happy to be able to sign that, and we did the biggest expansion of school choice in the entire country uh, this year in 21, after I already did the biggest uh, with a new program in 2019. So in Florida, we're gonna end up having more than doubled the number of low-income students that are on private uh, scholarships, uh, and including some of those uh, that, that have special needs. And so we are, our view is you have all these different forces that are against, obviously, corporate media, some of these other big tech, all this stuff, and you can kind of just let them steamroll you, or you can go on offense and achieve big victories. And so that's what we've been able to do. But I think where we find ourselves now is when you're looking at I would say elected officials, but quite frankly, I think it applies probably to judges as well. It used to be you had to kind of be ideologically, you got to check the boxes and make sure you're taking the right positions. And obviously, you got to have the right mindset. Don't get me wrong. You got to stand for, for the right things. Um, but sometimes that checklist conservatism would be a little bit pro forma. It would end up leading to people that would never rock the boat. I remember being in Congress. A lot of people didn't rock the boat. Uh, well, I think the boat needs rocking, and I think people need to step up and lead. And so you got to stand. you got to have the right philosophy. you got to understand the, what time it is. But you got to have the backbone and the wherewithal to be willing to stand for those right things when the going gets tough when the lights get hot, when people are throwing stuff at you and are, and are trying to smear you, 
that is really where I think the rubber meets the road. I think that's where we learn who are the leaders we can count on and who are the people that are basically just in office to be in office but aren't going to ultimately accomplish anything. And if you think about it, academia, corporate media, big tech, big business, all of them adopt in various degrees a leftist woke perspective in terms of, in terms of what they want to see. Most of them are entirely hostile to any type of conservative values or traditional principles. That's just uh, for sure. So you know that going in. That's what the battlefield looks like. And if you stand up for the truth, you're going to face the wrath of these institutions in many respects. The media will almost assuredly try to smear you. Uh, big tech may censor you. And big business may even try to boycott you, boycott your state, boycott your jurisdiction. Um, but that's what you have to be willing to put up with. That's what you have to be willing to dive headstrong in if you're going to be able to accomplish things for folks that you represent. And I would say the judges as well, particularly these Article Three judges, you know, they need to show some fortitude and do what's right. You should take cases that are important to this country. You should be willing to resolve issues of law that are going to have a significant impact on people's freedoms and constitutional liberties. You shouldn't view this through a political lens where you don't want to make a decision because you're worried about certain blowback or you're worried about what the media will say or you're worried about all these extraneous factors. You take an oath to support and defend the Constitution and you need to be willing to do that without fear or favor and you need to be resolute uh, and you need to get the job done. Refusing... Refusing to rule correctly or even to rule at all for fear of any type of extraneous consequences is cowardice. And we can't have cowardly people in these positions at this moment in our history. And so what I would say is I appreciate uh, what you're doing because I know you face blowback. I know media smears you. I, I know that you take on cases that are not popular with certain segments of our elite institutions. And God bless you for being willing to do it. So as we look at what's going on, as we look at the battles ahead, uh, I just would say whether you're doing legal battles, whether you're a, a judge, whether you're an elected official, stand firm for what's right. Put on the full armor of God. Take a stand against the left schemes. Take up the shield of faith. You're going to face flaming arrows. That's, that's guaranteed. But stand strong, hold the line, and don't ever, ever back down. Thank you, guys. God bless you all. We appreciate being here. Thank you. Thanks. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis speaking July 14th at a Religious Liberty Summit sponsored by the advocacy group Alliance Defending Freedom. If you haven't yet done so, please subscribe to the Notable Speeches podcast via your favorite podcast app, and we'd appreciate it if you'd tell others about us. Your comments and suggestions are welcome. Email feedback at notablespeeches.com. I'm Joseph Slife. <laughs>